Okay, last week we're in, you got, everyone got a Bible? Yeah, we talked about the solar system. Um, someone want to grab the lights too? Um, so last week we talked about Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 10. Nice. Hunter? A thousand points to Hunter. What? Yeah, he just, he knew what we were last week. Okay, well, Matt, conciliatory, five points. Okay. Um, did someone, okay, someone got the lights. Okay, so we're in Philippians last week. We're going to be in Philippians all the way until June. And we're just going to go through it uh, piece by piece. Um, and so this week we're going to be in Philippians. But just like last week, we're going to start out, I'm going to read, you, read to you from 1 Corinthians. Um, and it says, Now we have received the spirit of, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this, not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so just like last week, guys, let's take 30 seconds and let's pray that God would open our hearts to understand his word because ultimately we can't do it on our own. We are totally dependent on God's spirit to show us truth. Um, and so let's take 30 seconds and let's pray for God to open our hearts. Thank you, God, for your word. Um, we're just coming before you right now and humbling ourselves and just saying to you, God, that we cannot understand your word without you. Um, we're totally dependent on your spirit, God, so open our hearts, open our eyes, and prepare our hearts for this message, God. I pray that we would um, learn something about you, that we would love you more than anything else, and that we would look a little bit more like you this week, God, by your grace. Um, we love you. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the students that came. And in through your name, God. Amen. So someone did get the lights. They're just taking a while. Okay. No problem. Okay, so we're in Philippians. There they go. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rival rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rival rivalry, but not sincerely, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. 
for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So did everyone find it? Sorry, I should have said the page number before we got there. What page was it? 636. 636. Did everyone get it? Philippians chapter 1, we were in verse 12 through 21. Got it? Okay, so what's going on here? Um, Paul is in prison, um, and we've got to do something with this because it's, um, we don't have a place to file this in our brains. It's, it's kind of crazy. Paul is saying that he's happy he's in prison. Look, look back where we, where we were last week um, at verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So grace is getting something you don't deserve. Getting something more than you deserve. So if you, if you don't deserve a paycheck and someone gives you $100, that's grace because you're getting more than you deserve. And, Christ, and Paul just described his imprisonment as grace. He's saying my imprisonment is, is more than I deserve. How often do you hear that? Most people say, I'm innocent, I don't deserve it. But he's saying, imprisonment is more than I deserve. He's also rejoicing, right? Verse 18, he says, I rejoice, and he says it twice. Yes, again, I will rejoice. He's, he's happy, despite his imprisonment. And it was unjust. He, he was sharing the gospel, and he went to prison for it. But it's not like our prison, so it's like it's worse. We have to take ourselves back 2,000 years, and it's not um, a bed and a toilet and three meals a day. It's you're sitting on a stone floor, definitely not a bed. There's definitely not a toilet. Um, however they went to the bathroom back then, probably just a pot or something. It's totally humiliating. It's not comfortable at all. It's really, really uncomfortable, yet he's still saying, I rejoice. And it's even crazier than that because he's in jail and he's writing a letter back to the Philippians saying, hey guys, I just want to encourage you. I, want, I don't want you to be sad about my imprisonment because it has served to advance the gospel. How many people do you know that go to prison and write a letter back to their friends? Hey guys, it's okay. It's going to be alright. Usually it's the other way around. The people that aren't being persecuted are the ones encouraging. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. If we were imprisoned, sent to jail for unjustly, at least me, I wouldn't be thinking about my friends. I wouldn't be thinking about how can I encourage them through this. I would be thinking, how can I get out of this? This is so unjust. But Paul is different than that. And it gets worse than that, right? Not only is he in prison, he doesn't deserve it. Not only is it really uncomfortable, he's in jail, he's sitting on a stone floor, no bed, probably really cold. They didn't have heating back then, and I'm sure they didn't give him a fire. Um, it gets worse than that. Look at verse, um, well, we're just going to start in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So not only is he in prison, not only all that stuff we talked about, but there are people who are outside of prison who are sharing the gospel with the sole purpose of trying to afflict, afflict Paul in his imprisonment. So maybe they see that Paul's in prison, and so they're like, hey, Paul, we're sharing the gospel. You can't do that. You're in prison. They're just doing it just to get at him. 
And he's okay with it. He says he rejoices that Christ is proclaimed, even if it isn't in truth. And so we don't know where to file this. I don't. We don't see this in our culture. In fact, we were far from, from this state that Paul's in. We're way more comfortable. And we complain all the time. Like at any, any chance we get, you know, we complain about windows, how windows stinks. We complain about Apple, how Apple stinks. We just complain to have something to talk about. But Paul has a reason to complain, and he's okay. He's happy. And so we have to understand, we have to try and understand what, what's going on in this guy's life. Why is he so content? And you know the answer, right? It's God. The answer is God. But there's two main things in, that Paul understands that lead him to this place of contentment, even, if the, even in the most difficult situation. And the first is God's sovereignty. Do you guys know what sovereignty means? God is totally in control. He is completely in control. And I don't have to spend too long on this point, luckily. I mean, not luckily, because of what we talked about last week. Um, We know how big God is, right? Remember how he created all the planets? He knows all the names of all the stars, how many there were. He's holding everything together by the word of his mouth. God's not surprised by this. God's not surprised. He's not looking down like, oh, whoa, Paul's in prison? What's the deal? How did that happen? He knew exactly. He knew all along what was going to happen. God is not an ambulance driver coming up and trying to fix the situation afterwards. God could have absolutely stopped. He could have absolutely stopped Paul from going to prison in a million different ways. Remember last week, lightning? He controls lightning. He could have sent two lightning bolts down to any guard that came near Paul. He could have just simply stopped speaking those people into existence and they just would have been gone. God absolutely allowed Paul to go to prison. And we can see this if you look in verse 16, what Paul says. The latter do do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. He is put there. Someone put Paul there for the defense of the gospel. It definitely wasn't the guards. The guards weren't saying, okay, well, let's just put Paul in jail so... He can share the gospel with us. That sounds like a good plan. They didn't say that. And it wasn't Paul. Paul didn't think, well, I'd really like to go to jail. Um, I think I'll, I'll just put myself, put myself in jail. That sounds like a good plan. It wasn't him. It was God. God's the one that's in control. God knew that Paul would be speaking the gospel and that people would be offended by it and that he would go to jail. And so what we need to understand is, one, God's in control, but two, God is out for our good, okay? If God's in control and he's a wicked, mean, spiteful God, then that's not good news for us. But Romans chapter 8 says that for those who love God, he works all things together for their good. So if you love God, if God is your number one, if he's your satisfaction, then all things work together for your good. Everything. Suffering, imprisonment, every little thing works together for your good. And now that's hard to understand for us, right? Like, it's really, really difficult to understand, let's say something really bad happens to you. Let's say you go to prison unjustly. Maybe your parent dies. Maybe your brother dies. Maybe you get cancer. Um, in the moment, it's, it's almost impossible to see how that's for our good. 
But just like we talked about last week, God is so much bigger than we are. He knows how every molecule interacts, and to explain to us how every tiny event affects every other event would, li- would be like me trying to explain the internet to an ant. I could do it. I could, tell, I could tell the ant, hey, the internet, well, here's how it works. You know, there's these things called computers. There's binary, and, and it's basically, you know, we usually use base 10 to count, but binary just uses ones and zeros, and then it sends little messages through the wires. I could explain it to him, but he would not understand it, right? And that's how we are to God. God could explain to us how every little event interacts and how you getting cancer or your mom dying doesn't seem good now, but in the end it's for your good. He could explain that to us, but I think most of the time he wouldn't understand it, and most of the time he doesn't do that. So what we have to do is trust, one, that God's in control, and two, that he's out for our good. Now most people would say, okay, well, I just don't think I can get behind that. Most people's problem is, I don't see how this could be for my good, and and God wouldn't just put me through this if, if I don't understand how it's for my good. I just can't accept it. If I don't understand it, I can't accept it. Well, I think that's not true. I think that what I think is that we accept things like that. We accept things that we don't understand all the time. You go to the doctor. The doctor tells you, you're going to need to have surgery. It's for your good. You will happily let the doctor cut you open and do some stuff inside of you because you believe he's out for your good. You don't demand that the doctor explain every tiny detail of the surgical procedure to you. You don't say, I need to know exactly how this amnesia, you know, how this anesthetic works before I go under the knife. And you need to explain to me exactly how my kidney works, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We don't do that. We have more faith in the doctor than we do in God, right? We, we, we take on faith that the doctor's out for our good, that he knows what he's doing, and we're okay with it. We're okay with being ignorant of the, all the ins and outs. But with God, we don't do that. But we need to, because God is out for our good. He's smarter than any doctor. And just like the doctor that's doing surgery on you, we're not going to be able to understand it all. We just have to trust God's out for our good. And we know he's out for our good. How do we know? Again, in Romans chapter 8, it says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not with him graciously give us all things? Basically, if Christ came and died for you, if God came down in the flesh and took on your sin and bore the weight of all that sin in a terrible death, why would God deny anything to you? That is a terrible price that God paid for you. Why would God deny you a new car when he could create one like that in an instant? God can make a new car appear in your driveway right now. And the only reason he doesn't is because he's out for your good. And we may not understand that. But we do understand he loves us. We know that. We know that from Christ's death on the cross. He loves us more than we could ever understand. And so that's the first way Paul is okay with this. He's okay with what's going on because one, God's in control. Two, God is out for his good. And so he's just trusting. He's just trusting that it's going to turn out for his good. And so that's hard to swallow, I understand. But if we pray 
for God to change our heart in, in the difficult situations, He will do it. He will do it. Ezekiel 36, 26 says God will take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. He'll give us a new spirit. He'll help us to understand why things... He'll help us to trust Him. He may not always help us to understand why. And the second thing, this is the big one, um, the second thing that gets Paul through this suffering is that he values Christ more than anything else. And this is all over the passage. So let's just go through it again and let's, let's um, hit, hit every piece where he's talking about Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Okay? Verse 12 already. He's saying that imprisonment has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So he's more concerned about the guard knowing about Christ than he is about his imprisonment. And then he goes on to say, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's saying, yeah, I'm in prison, but look, these other guys are being encouraged by my boldness, by my boldness to speak and go to prison. They're seeing that and, and taking it on themselves, and they're speaking the word. And that's worth more to, more, to the, more to Paul than his imprisonment. And so we're going to go a little bit f- further through. I'm going to skip all the way down to 18. He says, What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. So even if someone is trying to you know, preach Christ just to get Paul, just to make him feel bad, um, he's okay with that because Christ is preached. Paul is putting Christ above himself. And again, it gets even more explicit. Verse, and he's rejoicing. Verse 19, For I know that through your prayers um, it's going to come out for deliverance. Verse 20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, I will be honored, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's saying, my one hope, I do not want to be ashamed. My one hope is that I, in my life or in my death, honor Christ. Honor Christ. I make Christ. I make much of Christ. I show Christ to be great. I magnify Christ. I glorify Christ in my body. That's what he wants. That's what's going to make him ashamed if that doesn't happen. And then he goes on and he makes a bigger statement in verse 21. For, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, if I live, it's all about Christ. And if I die... I get more of Christ because I'm going to be with him and there's not going to be this sinful body in between, in between us. And so this is how he gets through. This is how Paul gets through this difficult time is because he sees Christ as so great. He loves him more than he loves himself, more than he loves anything else. And so to put this on a level that we can understand, if I walked up to you and I pinched you as hard as I could, you would be mad. Like, it would hurt. Like, pinching hurts. Don't pinch each other. Pinching hurts, okay? And you would, you, if, if I did it when you weren't looking, you'd probably turn around with a really angry look on your face, especially not knowing it was me. If it was me, you might hide some of your anger. But if it was one of your friends, you would be upset. Now, if I gave you something greater, much, much, much greater than the pain of pinching, if I said, I'll give you $100 if you let me pinch you as hard as I can, you guys would be excited. You would be raising your hand, pinch me. I want, I want to be pinched. That little pain, it, is, it still hurts. 
It's just as painful as it was before, but now because of the $100, you're okay with it. You're happy about it. And that's how Paul is. Paul is enduring this suffering. He's imprisoned. He's not comfortable at all. But Christ is so much greater that pain pales in comparison. It pales. And so the gospel, guys, is not that if you accept Christ, everything is going to go right in your life. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that if you have Christ, no matter what situation you're in, Christ is better. Because just like that pinch, it hurts in the moment, but when there's something so much bigger, you forget. It still hurts, right? But in seeing the reward, what's coming, the $100, it makes that pinch not really that big a deal. And so for, for Paul, God is, is the $100. God is the reward so great that the pain doesn't matter as much anymore. It's still just as painful, but only in comparison does it, does it start to subside. And so his whole life, right, is Christ. We saw that. In his imprisonment, he's sharing with the guards. In his imprisonment, he's sending a letter back to a church that he started and just encouraging them, hey, I know I'm in prison, but I want to tell you about Christ. I'm I want to talk to you about Christ and how this imprisonment is for Christ. He's not ashamed to be in prison. He's okay with it. Back in the day, um, 2,000 years ago, being in prison was a big deal. It was a lot, it was a bi- it's a big deal today, but it was a bigger deal then. The Philippian church had a lot of shame going on because they were identified with Paul who was now in jail. And that's why he's encouraging them is because there's a lot of shame that goes into going into jail, especially in this culture, 2,000 years ago. And he, he's not ashamed of being in jail. He's, he's wanting to magnify Christ more than the shame. He, he cares about Christ and his magnification more than any, uh, anyone thinks about him, more than his shame and more than the discomfort he has. And so, guys, this isn't just Paul. Whenever we read the Bible, we need to be careful. There's two ways we can read a description of what happened to someone. It's prescriptive or it's descriptive. Prescriptive means it's what you should do, and descriptive is just saying this is simply what happened. And so the question right now is, is this just Paul or is this us? Is this how we should react or is there just a description of what Paul is like, of what happened to Paul? Because there's tons of stories in the Bible that they're in there, but it's not saying go and do this. You know, Samson killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. It's not necessarily saying you need to go out and do that. But this story, this story, this how we relate to suffering, this is prescriptive. Okay? This is something we should emulate. This is something we should strive towards. This is what Jesus says, okay? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He said, if you love your mom and dad more than you love me, if you love your girl more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. If you love anything more than you love Christ, 
You're not worthy of him. And that's Jesus' words. That's not my words. That's, that's the Bible. And it gets worse than that. It's not just putting Christ above everything else. It's above everyone else. It's putting Christ above everything else, including yourself and your life. It says, whoever does not take up his cross, the cross was an instrument of torture and death, Whoever does not take up his electric chair, who does not, whoever does not take up his noose and follow me, is not worthy of me. Whoever seeks to find his life is going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus Christ. That was a quote. I'm just saying, Jesus said that. That's pretty hard-hitting, at least to me. He's saying that this mindset that Paul had, that's exactly the mindset you have to have if you want to be a Christian. That Christ is worth more than anything else. That you're ready to take up your cross and follow him. And it's not just Paul. All the people throughout the Bible, all the people we see have this mindset. In Acts chapter 5, the, some of the followers of Christ were sharing the gospel and they got called into court. And here's what it says. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. They got the skin beat off their backs, and they were saying, Wow, I'm so happy that I get to share in the suffering of Christ, that I get to know Christ a little bit more. I get to understand what he suffered for me on the cross a little bit more through this beating, through this persecution. Just like Paul, they put Christ above anything else. So this is what it means. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. It doesn't mean I've made Christ a part of my life. I've made Christ a piece of my life. I love Christ enough to read my Bible every once in a while. Or I love Christ enough to come to church every Sunday and read my Bible an hour a day. That's not what it's saying. It's saying if you don't love God more than anything else, then you're not a Christian. Anything you love more than God is an idol. And that's, that's sin. That's idolatry. And the thing is, guys, it's not just maybe this might happen. This is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus says. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus is saying, just like the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Absolutely. This isn't an if. This isn't be ready to be persecuted for Christ. This is, it's going to happen. If you're a follower of Christ, there's going to be persecution. 1 Peter chapter 4 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't, say, don't be surprised if you are persecuted. Don't be surprised if you are tortured because that happened to Christ. And so 1 Peter 4 still. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So this is a theme, right, in the Bible over and over and over. 
2 Timothy chapter 3 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Certainty will be persecuted. And this is hard to understand for us, I think. I think we've watered down godliness. It says all those who desire to be godly, to live a godly life, will be persecuted. I think we've watered down godly so much that we don't see how that's possible. Because we think godly is, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and I'm not going to watch rated R movies. That's what godliness is. But according to what we just read about Paul and about Jesus and what he said, godliness following Christ is about giving up everything else for him. Being willing to give up everything else for him because you love him more than anything else. And here's the deal. I know I'm not making following Christ sound attractive right now. I'm not trying to entice you into being a follower of Christ. Because I absolutely don't want to do that. The last thing I want is you to make a profession and say, I'm a Christ follower when you don't mean it. The last thing I want is on the last day you to come in front of Christ and say, Lord, Lord, and Him say, I never knew you. You loved me a little bit. But did you read what I said about being my disciple? You have to take up your cross. You have to value me more than anything else. And so I know I'm not making it sound attractive because Christ didn't make it sound attractive. He said to his disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Doesn't go well. You send out a lamb among a bunch of wolves, it doesn't go well for the lamb. But there's good news, right? The good news is you get God. You get God. The God who created all that we talked about yesterday, that powerful God, you get to know him. He loves you. He paid the price for your sins on the cross when you didn't love him. And if when you hear that and you think about that and you don't think, I think that's worth giving my life for, then you don't understand it. You don't understand it because it's, it's unsearchable riches, Ephesians chapter 3 says. Unsearchable, meaning no matter how much money you can think of, it's worth more than that. No matter how much power you can think of, it's worth more than that. Here's the good news. We're turning a corner here. It's, there is good news, and that, the good news is that we get Christ. But it's not, when I say you have to love Christ more than you love anything else, I think a lot of you in your mind, at least what I would be thinking um, when I was in high school, is I thought it was about, you know, closing my fist, gritting my teeth, and loving God more than anything else. But that's not it. Like you can see from this passage that Paul isn't gritting his teeth saying, I'm going to endure this, I'm going to endure this suffering because I have to. He's genuinely happy. He's rejoicing. Uh, Look at verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope. You're not clenching your teeth if you're eager. You don't say, oh, I'm really eager to go to the dentist. You're eager for things you want to do. He wants to do this. Paul delights in suffering for God. His duty is to love Christ more than anything else, and his delight is to love Christ more than anything else. Both. This is the same thing Jesus said, too. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. 
Then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and buys that field. So the two things in there, that's Jesus Christ is the treasure. He's the treasure worth giving everything up for. But notice it said, in his joy. God's not calling you tonight to say, okay God, in my brain I understand that you're more powerful and I know I don't want to do it at all. In fact, I think I'm going to hate it. But I'll go ahead and choose to follow you. That's not what he wants. He wants you to walk into joy, into happiness, into contentment in knowing him because he is that much greater. That pinch and that $100, it's the same thing. If you see how great Christ is, no amount of suffering, no amount of suffering, no amount of loss, if you have to give up your family, if you have to give up anything else, all your possessions, it's worth it. If you see Christ as valuable. If you see Christ as not very valuable, if, if you see Christ as a penny, like I said, if I, if I was going to pinch you and I offered you a penny, hey, can I pinch you? I'll give you a penny. You'd be like, no, penny's not worth it. And so if you see Christ as not very valuable, you're not going to be willing to suffer for him. But if you see him as supremely valuable, which is what the Bible says he is, which is what he is, he is supremely valuable, then that's how we endure this suffering, any suffering, any situation. And like I said, it's still going to be painful, but seeing Christ, being with Christ, is going to make it bearable. And even, you'll be, even be able to find joy in it. So the question is, is this you? Are you there? Are you a Christ follower, what the Bible says? What the Bible says a Christ follower is? Because a lot of people will tell you that a Christ follower is someone who prayed a prayer that said, yeah, um, God, I really don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to go ahead and accept you into my heart. Thank you. And then just now on any of those sheets where it says identify your religion, you check Christian. That's not what Christ says. Christ says it's about the heart. It's about what you value in your heart. And so that's the question tonight. Are you, are you there? Is that you? If it is, I got good news for you. Suffering, there's hope. In suffering, there's hope. And that hope is Christ. That hope is God's in control. That hope is all things are working together for your good. That hope is you are going to be able to identify a little bit better with Christ in that suffering. You're going to be able to see what the cross is a little bit better. But if not, if you aren't, if you aren't there, if you're not ready to make Christ your all, if you don't see him as supremely valuable, um, all things aren't working for your good. Suffering is not going to be easy because when you are the center of everything, your suffering is absolutely not what you want. There's nothing that can take you out of it. There's no prize. um, There's no Jesus Christ to make the suffering look small. It's huge and it's always going to be huge. God is not working things for your good because you don't love him. It says, for those who love God. In fact, every event that happens that isn't 
that isn't you coming to Christ is leading you one step closer to eternal torment. Eternal separation from everything good in God. Now, he doesn't want you to come to him out of fear, but out of love. He wants you in joy to be willing to give your life for him. How that happens. If you're here tonight and you think, this makes sense in my mind, but my heart isn't there, Andrew. I don't feel it. I don't love God like you're talking about. I don't identify with Paul. I don't feel this way. There's good news. The good news is God promises that he will give you a new heart. You have to first admit to God, God, my heart isn't right. I don't love you like I should. I don't see you as this valuable treasure that you describe yourself as, that it seems like everyone in the Bible sees you as. I don't see you like that. I need your help. I need you to change my heart. And he's promised he will. He'll do that. But we have to admit that we've been putting other things above him. We have to run to him and ask him to change our heart and just beg. It's worth it. There is an unlimited, an unsearchable treasure, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, on the line. So, good news. Best news in the world if you know Christ. If not, pray about it, guys. The reason I'm telling you this, I know it's heavy, and I, I know that you think, oh, this is a downer. So I just want to explain to you what's going on in my mind right now. The reason I'm willing to tell you guys this is because I believe this book is true. I absolutely believe that what Jesus said is true. What he describes his followers as, I believe that's real. And so I don't want you to be unaware. And so I know this is heavy, but it leads to joy. It leads to contentment. The last thing I would want is to just tickle your ears, tell you guys funny stories and kind of make you feel good if that's not true. Someone said, I don't know where this quote came from, but someone said that your best friend is the person that will tell you the truth even when it hurts. If there's a man on a battlefield and he's got a gaping wound in his side, he's bleeding out, and the doctor comes up to him and they give him a pill. And that pill takes away all the pain. But that man dies anyway. They don't stitch up the wound. They just, they just make him feel better for a moment. It's not love. That's not a friend. But if that man stitches up that wound, even though it's painful, and saves that man's life, that's a friend. And so I'm trying to love you guys as best I know how. I'm trying to, to love you as best I know how. And, that w- and the only way to know that is to know these heavy truths and to choose Christ. So ask, ask these people in here tonight that you know that love God. They'll tell you it's worth it. They'll tell you, I know this seems heavy, but it's true. Guys, I, I, wish, I, could, I wish I had a video to show you of someone who's... There's people, guys, that are wasting away from cancer. They've got cancer of the bone and it's just tearing them apart. And they say, I'm all right. I'm happy. In fact, I'm just so blessed to have the opportunity to know a little bit more what Christ did for me on the cross by suffering. There's people out there. 
all in the Bible, and I feel like in your church, and just talk to them. And I beg you just to consider this tonight. So let's just pray as we close out. God, I just, I love these kids, and I love, I love you, God, and I just want them to know you more than anything else, God. I want them to know you more than I want them to like me. I want you, I want them to know you more than I want them to have fun at Crave. I, I want them to know you more than I want them to be successful. God, I want them to know you because you're the only thing that can satisfy. You're the only thing that's worth living for, God. I'm totally powerless, God. I cannot change these kids' hearts. We're totally dependent on you, God. Just please move. Move in my heart. Help me to see you as more valuable. Help everyone to see you, God, as, as, as the treasure you are. God, I just pray that you would be raising up just a few kids, God. I pray that all of them would come to you, God, but I pray that a few would just be ready and willing tonight just to give their life to you. That they're ready to give anything for you and be a light in the world. That in the midst of suffering, they can show how great you are, God. That they can tell their friends, that they can show their parents, um, that they'd be willing to go and die for the sake of the gospel if it means one more person, God, could know you. We love you, God. You're, you're worth more than anything else, God. Please be with us tonight. We're totally dependent on you. Thank you so much for dying for us. And in your name, God.